Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Season 7, Episode 7. My name is Bradley Metrock, CEO of Project Voice. Um, we've got a great panel today and some really interesting stories. We're going to get to all of that. Uh, I want to talk about one thing very quickly at the top. Uh, last week, we uh, rolled out an episode of This Week in Voice uh, in which I rolled through all approximately 200 women who we named as our Women Leaders of Conversational AI Class of 2023. That has gone all over the place. There's been medium posts about it. There's been all sorts of stuff about it. Um, we're gratified by that. We're starting to hear of women uh, that are using this in a hiring context um, or a promotion context. Um, that's, uh, that's all uh, the desired effect. So um, good stuff is happening with that. I'll probably have more to say about that at a later time. Uh, but I wanted to sort of touch on that here at the top of the show. So we're going to get rolling. Uh, we got a fantastic group of folks. Um, Martine, I'm going to start with you from Well Said Labs. Tell us who you are. Uh, tell us who you're with, and um, you know, tell us uh, tell us what you do. Thank you, Bradley. Um, good morning, everyone. Good afternoon, if you're watching later today. My name is Martine Ramirez. I am the Chief Revenue Officer with Well Said Labs. Uh, we started back in 2019 at the Paul Allen um, AI Institute here in Seattle, and we create lifelike synthetic voices out of the voices of real people. Uh, we work with companies all over the, the, the spectrum of industries. You have uh, individuals in the healthcare industry all the way to the advertising world. We're making sure that we are helping these companies and individuals create and publish stories with voices that are worth listening to. And um, Bradley, on your note, around the, uh, the efforts with uh, women in voice, um, our team is extremely excited about the opportunity, our core technology, our ethics department, all of those functions in our company at Wellsa Labs are built by very thoughtful, very smart women who are pushing forward um, the composite of the DNA of teams building these uh, front-end technologies that are changing the way people think about storytelling, the way people think about AI, and the way people think about these creative uh, tooling that we have in place. Super excited to be here today, um, shine in as I can with regards to uh, the articles that we have been presented with, but most importantly, super excited to be part of a community that's looking at that intersection of technology and the arts and how we can use these new tools and services to tell better stories. At the end of the day, that's my main passion. That's what we do here at WellSet, and I'm super excited for the conversation today. Martin, it's great to have you and great to have Well Said Labs and part of it. Long time coming. Thanks for being here. Next up, we got Mark Bosdyke from Datch. Mark, say hello. Hi. Um, thanks. Thanks, Bradley. Um, pleasure to be here. So, yeah, I'm Mark. I'm a CEO co-founder here at Datch. Um, we, uh, we've been around for about four years, uh, four years now. Um, feels like feels like 10. And uh, we're, we're a Series A company. Um, uh, in the voice in the voice AI space, um, so Datch is a uh, an AI interface uh, for industrial applications. So we work in verticals such as mining, manufacturing, um, utilities, and energy. A little bit in aerospace as well. And uh, you know, one of the big frustrations that you'll see across the industry is this incredible amount of time and energy spent on these frontline workflows. So with Datch, uh, these workers use uh, voice and NLP to, to interact with these systems of record super naturally, like really naturally, and, uh, and, and it really simplifies that experience for them. And there's some, some really big benefits for the, for the enterprises as well. So um, yeah, it's been a very interesting journey so far. Um, it's super exciting to be in this space and um, yeah, glad to be on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, Datch is um, real interesting and uh, kudos to what you built. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Next up, we have Sridhar Mari from Senseforth AI. Sridhar, as always, tell me uh, not if, but how I'm messing your name up. And thank you for being here. Tell us all about Senseforth and what y'all do. All right. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Sridhar and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Senseforth.ai. Senseforth is a natural language processing engine that can read large amounts of unstructured data, both in text and voice, and derive meaningful insights. We can use those insights, again, uh, in automating uh, 
several human intensive uh, operations across customer acquisition, customer engagement, and customer support. We work with large enterprises around the world. We rank number six in the Squad 2.0, which is the um, Global Machine Reading Comprehension Leaderboard uh, at Stanford University. Great to Excellent. be here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, greatly appreciated. And our fourth uh, panelist is Nicola Merchik. You Nicola, you'll have to pronounce it for me from Poly AI. Really interesting company. Nicola, say hello. Hey, that, that, that wasn't a bad try at all. So my name is Nikola Merchik. Serbian names, they can be tough. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Poly AI. We are um, an Anglo-American company started out of the research we did at the University of Cambridge since we've grown to, um, you know, we're a Series B company. We work with companies like FedEx, Marriott, Volkswagen, many others. And, you know, we build on-brand, very human-sounding voice assistants that emulate the best of a company's customer service reps. You know, we're trying to really change the way that people feel about voice assistants. We're um, using a trust-led dialogue design a framework to kind of like either create a good experience or get out of the way really, really quickly. And um, really good, to, really good to be on this podcast, listen to it regularly. So uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Thanks to all four of y'all for being here. Uh, really accomplished, really interesting companies. Um, grateful for, for you being here and taking the time. So with that, we're going to get to the news. Story number one from VoiceBot. VoiceBot is six years old. Here are six ways the industry has changed. So this dives into, um, this covers a lot of ground in a hurry in this piece. And I like stuff like this. Uh, it's great to give VoiceBot a shout out. Uh, VoiceBot started um, slightly after uh, a lot of stuff that we did started on the content side. And as a result of that, you know, this week in voice, starting from season one, it's, I believe it's only two or three episodes of this show where there hasn't been a VoiceBot article as one of our articles. So if that doesn't speak to the relevance of, of what VoiceBot's covering, I don't know what would. So kudos to Brett and the team for everything that they've done. Uh, this has been circulating the rounds online too. Nicola, I'm going to start with you and work backwards from the order that we just went in. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on this piece. Um, you know, there's some conclusions that are drawn here. Um, what in particular stood out to you um, from what was presented? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a really good article. So um, I think like all your points are, are salient. The number four, I think is like an obvious one, but um, it's, worth, it's worth saying, right? Kind of like when this whole field started hot, especially when it comes to voice, you know, you look at five, six years ago, and everyone was talking about chat. Everyone was convinced that only, you know, the older demographics will continue to use voice and everyone young will just be chatting. I mean, I have a vested interest in that not being true, right? But it's um, it was a bit perplexing. And I think when COVID happened and, you know, contact center volumes grew instead of shrinking, we knew that it's not really the trend or the consumer preference, but it's worth stating, right? I mean, you're kind of saying that, you know, Amazon and Google have a lower profile. I mean, not that they do. I think they did a lot by actually pushing consumer voice assistants out in the market to... Um, really give everyone the right to dream about, you know, this thing being in the mainstream and being there in 10 rather than in 50 years. Because I don't think anyone really disagrees that we'll have, you know, like really superhuman voice assistants in 50 years. But I think they did us a great service. But then, you know, really now when you think about everything that, you know, people here are talking about, the different segments we're focused on and, you know, we've taken off. And I think COVID really helped with that. But yeah, you know, kind of like also justifies... Um, your, uh, you know, raison d'être for, uh, for, for the website, right? Um, the number two is also good about the custom being hot and kind of like the growth of enterprise. I think that, you know, that's driving our growth. I think that, you know, people have realized that there is no other recourse than smart ways to automate parts of their customer service in particular, not that there are another. So those two stood out to me because they're very, very, very salient for us. No, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I think um, you're a perfect person to start with for this story because, you know, a lot of how the market has, um, the technological domain has kind of opened up and evolved, has, has carved out a space uh, 
um, and, you know, for not just your existence, but for the investment, you know, flowing into the company and all your growth and, and so on. Uh, yeah, that's, that's well taken. Sridhar, I'm going to go to you next. Um, what, if anything, stood out from this piece, from the conclusions that Brett has drawn? But I, when I read the article, I think there are, you know, three or four flavors which are, you know, coming out. One is, of course, the generative aspect of it. And I think, uh, I think mimicking human cognitive abilities and creative abilities is, you know, has been always been the fascination for humankind. And I think that is happening right now as we see it. And that's a big phenomenon. And the second flavor that I'm seeing is uh, more predictive. Uh, you know, hum again, humans always want to have the power of predicting the outcomes. And that is the second big trend that I'm seeing. Um, but of course, as a, as a sort of a, you know, next frontier for predictive is going to be obviously prescriptive uh, in the face of a certain outcome. I think that uh, that will probably come later. Uh, and the third biggest trend that I'm seeing is the speed at which uh, things are rapidly evolving. I think uh, by this, uh, you know, token, you know, the Moore's law, um, you know, looks really uh, glacial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, that's, uh, uh, that's well put. Um, and uh, it is moving very quickly, and it's very tough to keep up with. Trust me, I understand that. Um, Mark, I'm going to go to you. Um, great comments all the way around so far. I want to get your take. What stood out from this piece? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a few things that stood out for me. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the one that resonated the most was the rise in, in enterprise use cases. Um, I remember, you know, many, many years ago, uh, shouting about this while everyone was very focused on the consumer space. And we saw almost nothing in, in the space that we, you know, that I came from in my previous career. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's good to kind of see that, see that recognized. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, this was actually touched on in the second point there uh, is that uh, you know the the difficulty in in these enterprise use cases that we find is that solutions really just need to be customizable. Um, like you can't go in with a one size fits all um, solution. That's that's uh, and what that means is, is there's the rise of the platform in in many different areas and and so you know we're really focused on. On that, on our side, you know, making sure that it's highly customizable, highly, highly adaptable. Um, but the other piece, and again, this is probably very true across the enterprise, is uh, these these uh, you know these voice solutions need to be readily integrate integratable or um, ready to integrate into these um, into into systems of record and um, and across across the system space. So again ties into the platform platformification of voice in our in our case and probably in many other cases so um it means it's very hard to achieve um but it's it's uh if you achieve it then yeah and you get that adaptability and customize customization ability um across the road across the across the spectrum um you've you've got a a big market open to you well said. Yeah. And speaking of well said, um, I didn't do that on purpose. I probably should have thought about that. I'm not that smart. Uh, Martine, uh, heard some great comments. Want to get your take. A lot of surface area to this piece. What stood out to you? Uh, thank you, Bradley. And, and by the way, you can say well said as often as you have to. Um, and um, I, I, the way that I reacted to the article, which I think has some very important uh, uh, realities capture about the industry. I, I like to think about it in three main buckets, right? The first one is the business pragmatics. Uh, the second one that I will kind of pepper in will be around the importance of custom and then give you the flavor of why we think this matter here at Wellset. So the first one, when we went to market back in 2018, the, the uh, keyword commercial applicability was very important. And he tied point number one and point number three with the rise of the enterprise use case and also building in parallel uh, the iterations that will make our core technology better, um, giving our team of researchers the ability to map any insights or any discoveries that they were able to do in the lab to applicable and commercially applicable, more importantly, use cases that we could, could service. And, and that, that is the pragmatics of the business. And I, I'm not in 100% in agreement with what was capturing the article here. Now, 
The second point around the importance of custom in these bespoke experiences, and I think Mark captures some of these components. Um, our CEO, Matt Hawking, he said something recently in a, in a forum we were invited by FedEx, where um, he asked the audience, we, when we think about your brand, people can, can visualize, people know what it looks like, but do they know what it sounds like? And the more that we are augmenting and diversifying the interactions with brands and services, there are going to be more inputs, uh, more, more interfaces, and sound becomes a very important one. Now, on the third bucket, and I'm trying to go fast and be respectful of time here, is the significance, why this matters, right? And one of the things that I think is in between the lines in the articles, here at Well said, when we're working on creating a custom voice avatar, for example, I like to take a step back and I invite our customer to say, I know you want to describe the pitch, the cadence, the accent, the language of the voice, but what about the listener? What is she doing? What are they doing? What do we want to create an inflection point for? What is the outcome after the interaction? And um, for example, I have to think about one of our customers, expert patient. Yes, it is, it is amazing to be able to tinker with AI and apply AI for voice synthesis and create these amazing avatars but when you have customers that are telling you stories about the use cases they enable for their patients so they have now a more human uh reminder that at this point at this day they have to take a particular medication that is that is the why we are shrinking the distance between digital experiences and people and and that's that's what i'm very passionate about and i think the article did a great um, um, work at blending all of these realities together and now peppering in the well-set perspective why it matters at the end of the day we're just helping people interact and better connect with these experiences that's great yeah no it's really interesting to hear uh all of y'all's uh responses to this um i think brett did a really good job sort of summarizing you know martina as you said summarizing a lot in a hurry and um you know, so much has changed. Um, you know, Sridhar, to what you were saying, uh, it's 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 uh, dizzying to try to keep up with. You know, I joke about this. It's been I haven't joked about it this season on the show, but I joke about it routinely. That when I started this week in voice, uh, you know, year years ago, twenty, you know, sixteen, whenever it was. Um, uh, I thought, eh, you know, this probably isn't a great name for this. There's not going to be anywhere close to enough news. I'll end up talking about the same story, like every week for like a month and then a new one will come out um and uh fortunately that's been wrong but um yeah uh it's it, the good news is that it's created a lot of opportunities um for for companies and um whether it's our hostility toward big tech or just their inability to adapt uh, rapidly enough uh the the opportunities for independent players have exploded um, and there's no better evidence of that than the four of y'all here on the show. Um, we're going to move on to story number two, <clears throat> and I'm going to read this out loud. Um, this is from TechCrunch. Shutterstock to integrate OpenAI's DALI 2 and launch fund for contributor artists. So this, uh, this, is, this was mentioned in Brett's piece, and this is something that I think if you go back to Alexa and Google Assistant, you know, 2017, 18, uh, you never would have dreamed that we'd be sitting here talking about something like this. Sridhar, I'm going to start with you, and then I'm going to go through uh, Nicola and uh, Martine and Mark. Um, synthetic media is all, you know, the rage in the media, um, getting a lot of news. Um, what stood out to you about this piece? Uh, there's a couple of different parts to it, uh, but what stood out to you um, and uh, your thoughts on this rise of synthetic media? I'm personally super excited, especially with the synthetic media and the generative, uh, you know, technologies. I think that's it's going to change the face of the, you know, uh, humanity forever, right? Um, so I, I I'm fully uh, aligned uh, with the Shutterstock's uh, uh, strategy as well, um, because because I mean, look at the look at the uh, stock photos and how boring they are. In fact, so pretentious most of them are. And I think I think that is probably is going to change. The biggest change is is uh, is what I would expect uh, from this uh, phenomenon. Um, but I you know I I sort of tend to think a little beyond this and 
um, I think the entire entertainment industry is going to change forever. And I think the full-scale AI-generated stories and movies and TV shows and whatnot will certainly emerge uh, in the future. And I think Netflix probably will be the next in line to do a completely AI-generated TV show. And, um, and of course, the users are going to be super empowered. You know, imagine somebody saying, I want to watch a Western um, movie tonight starring Al Pacino and Tom Hanks uh, with music composed by Pink Floyd or something like that, right? So it can be, it can be completely random and, and so customized and so, um, you know, so personalized for everyone. I think it is, uh, you know, it, it, it's, that's where it is going to go. And maybe you just want to watch uh, today's news uh, read by Meryl Streep or something like that, right? So people can say that and get those things in real, uh, in real time, right? So that is, I think the whole idea is the entire endless possibilities uh, uh, is what is fascinating. What could be and what would be is are the are the operative words here. Uh, I'm I'm personally very excited. I'm trying to imagine the movie that you just suggested, and uh, uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's great. You pay, you painted a real clear picture, Nicola. I'm going to go to you. Uh, interesting piece here. What stood out? This is this is interesting. I think that like um, I'll try to be mildly contrarian, even though I share I share Shudar's uh, excitement. I mean, like I remember when I was a kid, right? And you you open like Microsoft Paint and you take that like spray and you spray and you're like you look, oh my god, this is great. You make one, other, third, and like you know you look at them afterwards, you're like, well, you know what? It's random mush. I'm not really Picasso. I'm not even close, right? And the real thing with that is like. It's exciting because it's a really powerful assistive tool, right? Its mechanisms are able to do great things as kind of like connecting pieces when you have an intent to do something useful or not. Art maybe it doesn't have to be useful, right? But, um, you know, I've had long discussions with my chief operating officer who is less technical than I am, but probably more excited about these things. And, you know, stock images, well, like, what's the whole market worth, right? Like objectively, it's whole worth to us as humanity. Well, frankly, if they didn't exist, my life wouldn't really change much, right? Our marketing team might have to go and take a photo of something instead of, you know, looking for a good stock photo. But that obfuscates the fact that as a tool, it's very powerful and it can let us do a lot of things. Um, I think when you relate it to, say, what we do, like, you still have to do something useful, right? Say, in terms of, like, and, you know, I then the next one you have is about language models and stuff. And I think we've got a lot more to say about that. But you still have to have structure inside the madness, right? And I think that while, you know, I myself worked on deep learning as it came into conversational AI, and I can't complain because, you know, we got thousands of citations out of it. Um, we haven't really moved much in terms of the models. We're just making, like, bigger and bigger rockets right now. And then we generate something. We're like, it's great. But... No, I think I've generated over three, four hundred things with, with this model, and only one is something that I thought was like mildly interesting, something that a human couldn't do quickly. So, um, I think we have a lot of work to do, right? I think it's great; it's a good building block, but I wouldn't get that excited. No, I like that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think that we, um, it's like a, uh, so I deleted my Twitter account entirely uh, last week. I wrote about that also, but for the moment, uh, our business accounts are still there. Still there. And um, the, uh, I did see a tweet uh, when I was sort of going through and looking at, at the business accounts. Somebody said, um, generative AI this, generative AI that, why don't you generate some revenue? Um, and uh, I, I laughed at that. Uh, that's basically your point in a nutshell, Martina. I'm going to go to you. Uh, well, not we... even just not even just revenue. Like, let's just like do something measurable and useful, right? Because it's very easy to just create hype out of you know things that plausibly look interesting. I I agree with that. I also do agree with Sridhar to some some extent too. That um, you know, Shutterstock like stock images are boring, and and a lot of times they're just like stupid. Um, like they're just, they're, they're so banal to the point of, you know, uh, not being very useful. And, and this whole thing with AI infused images has the potential to actually like totally change that. Um, so it's interesting. It's an interesting balance between the two viewpoints expressed. And I kind of agree with both. Martina, I'm going to go to you. Interesting piece of TechCrunch. What you think? Yeah, no, and, and great 
points um, um, by the uh, uh, by the panel so far, and, and this one is very interesting for me because I, I like to to fancy myself a creative first. And um, here at Well said we we have a lot of creative inclined individuals, and one of the things that I've noticed in the introduction of these generative capabilities is that somehow we are presenting the arts and technology at odds. Um, when I do see technology as as an interpretation of of art blended and and performed through sciences, if you will, and and that's kind of like getting into the esoteric a little bit. But one of the the uh, the components that I find missing in this conversation from the article itself is around the implications of of uh, the ethics behind this generative technology. Um, if I go and and I'm going to use a very uh, uh, close to my heart example, if I go to one of these random applications and I type um, draw a Puerto Rican CRO, you might not even know that Puerto Ricans can be chief revenue officers of a venture-backed tech startup. So what are the biases that we're introducing in, in the creation of uh, these uh, generative art forms, if you will, and how are we considering the ethical uh, considerations? And, and the reason that I keep bringing the ethics component, going back to 2018, when Matt Hawking and, and Michael Petrushuk, our co-founders, were just two guys out of the AI2 lab uh, here in Seattle, our pledge for AI for good goes all the way from the selection of the data sets that we use, the use cases that we allow um, people to create with, all the way to how we collaborate with our voice actors. When, when you take everything out from our business model, we are a marketplace, we are a multi-sided business model. The way that we work with our voice talent and the mechanisms that we have in place to properly compensate them for their work, understanding their sensitivities. Um, our partner uh, here, Sarah uh, Weisweaver, who's the director of ethics for the company, is doing a great job truly understanding what the creator, that human behind the synthetic version of their likeness, cares about and what are some of the uh, uh, the provisions that we have to put in place in order to respect those sensitivities. So again, I think at the end of the day, the outputs are, are intriguing. I do see some of the uh, um, uh, iterations and, and higher fidelity that we can uh, get away with, especially in the uh, stock image world. Um, but I do resonate, uh, Nicola, what you've said resonated a lot where uh, let's generate some significance. However, we quantify that significance. I think that's where the opportunity truly lies. And let's embed in, in the creation of the systems um, um, controls and mechanisms where the humanity of those that get impacted by the creation and consumption of the content matters. Um, so a little bit in between for what I've heard from the previous gentlemen, but I think that significance, it's still something that we have a lot of opportunity to go for. Yeah, no, I think we need people talking about the ethics of this because, um, you know, uh, there aren't any right now, uh, to put it bluntly. Uh, Mark, uh, I'm going to go to you. I uh, want to get your thoughts on this. Super interesting piece. Uh, what's your take? Um, so uh, uh, first thing that kind of stood out to me was, I mean, I was just fascinated by the the, the business uh you know the business side of the story of um you know I was as soon as this tool came out you know I'm an avid user um of uh of of these of both both the open AI tool public tools and and use it on a number of things but uh when, yeah when when it came out I thought well that's either the end of end of Shutterstock or they're going to have to rush into a deal and uh and lo and behold <laughs> that deal's come through and it's it's a matter of necessity for them um like if they don't if they don't jump on the the bandwagon they're they're, they're done for um what I'm interested uh in is like why they've gone for uh for a deal with uh with open AI on this rather than uh rather than go with the uh these um uh, open source solutions so something like stable diffusion um where they can probably get something of equal quality but have a lot more ownership of of, of what they're doing um and I think they've probably got many reasons um I haven't really looked into it too deeply but uh but I, I, I there's this world is moving very quickly and it's very easy to create new versions of this like the amount of AI progress in the last six months alone has been probably more than probably in the last three years um it's it's really picked up pace and and IP uh, I guess the defensiveness of the the models are very 
uh, very hard to to quantify at the moment. Um, so rushing into a deal with uh, whether it's been AI might have been a uh, yeah. Uh, we'll see if they 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 live to regret it. But um, yeah, and and I think the other thing again, uh, coming back to the ethics, is just you know it sucks for those those artists who are um, who have been you know making money off off uh, Shutterstock and and similar sites for a long time, going out. Um, doing a lot, make you know, putting a lot of hard work into these into these images, and then and then these mod- these these uh, these companies come along and they they train their data on these specific images, and then put these guys out of a job, and it's uh, it's probably quite a hard pill to swallow um, that it's uh, and it's quite ruthless. Um, so I'd be interested to see if you know how how these artists also join the you know if you can't beat them join them. Um, uh, scenario just Shutterstock has done as well. Yeah, the compensation piece is important, and it's actually specifically why I chose the TechCrunch version of this story because um, most of the other ones did not mention the fund that they were creating for this. Um, and uh, you know, who's to say if the fund is fair, if it's not fair, or anything like that? But at least it's some lip service to um, the displacement involved. Yeah, no, this this is great. The comments are great. It's, it's a real mixed bag of responses to this, and I think that's probably exactly right. It's like, you know, we we see you. We're watching this play out, but we're going to need some more information on this. And just uh, one final point. I will say we're going to spend most of our time remaining on the third story. The fourth story we're just going to touch briefly at the end. Um, because we want to, it's, it's definitely related to this, but, uh, you know, we covered a story a couple of weeks ago on the show about a, uh, fictitious, uh, generative podcast created between Joe Rogan, who's alive and Steve Jobs, who is deceased. And, um, I don't think nearly enough lip service was paid to just how unethical that probably was, uh, to create, uh, you know, leave the leave leave the debt alone you know what i'm saying it's like um so we need rules around all this but anyway no it's it, great comments and and appreciate y'all taking the time we're going to roll on to story number three um because like i said it's it's directly related to this i'm going to read this out loud this is from inside higher ed machines can craft essays how should writing be taught now so we have uh, uh had stories from inside higher ed throughout uh, the life of this show really like how they present a lot of uh, issues and and sort of how they articulate themselves. Um, Mark, I'm going to start with you and then Martine and then uh, Nicola and then Sridhar for this. Um, this is definitely related to the previous story in several ways. Uh, what stood out to you? I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, it's a, it's a very it's 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 a very uh, interesting uh potential set of dilemmas um i'm not i'm not saying it's uh it's a problem yet but um firstly i don't i don't i don't think it will rise to be a major a major issue um so the i think i think if if you know for example um just like plagiarism it becomes a, a major a major issue for students to to take to take up these models and, and use them and, and substitute it for actual you know hard work um, we'll figure out a way to to, to prevent that. So um, there's uh, you know there's tools like Turnitin and Grammarly and these kind of plagiarism check, checker tools. I would imagine just like Shutterstock, they're going to go out and and do a deal with OpenAI, and because that's all centralized, we'll be able to to check these for 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 accuracy or for for origin originality or whether they're just copy pasting. Um, I'd be more concerned if this was much more kind of open source, locally hosted, um, if all classrooms were online um, and, you know, all essays were being submitted asynchronously, um, then you would have a major problem on your hand. But I think because it's centralized, there's probably some mechanisms that can be put in place in the long term if it becomes an issue. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, this is, a, this is an incredible tool that's being used to stretch our limits. Um, and, and our abilities so um you know just like the calculator right it's 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 really important we learn how to wield this wield this tool um 
and to do that well you've got to learn how to you got to learn how rules of of you know grammar and and conversational you know and communication rules work so um you know there's there's a lot of ways that we can you know we can approach this um it's a tool that ultimately makes us better at what we do as humans and when you bring it into the education space it just has to be well managed so that we pick up the skills so that we can use the tool in a in a you know in a, in a way that helps improve what we do yeah no i i uh, i think you're right i think we got a really you know we got a long way to go to understand exactly what the realm of possibility is martin i'm going to go to you um interesting piece what are your thoughts oh definitely interesting and and um some of the stuff that Mark mentioned definitely uh, um, resonated when I was going through the article. And, and I, I think about it a little bit from a higher level. And I love the uh, calculator example. I remember when I was in engineering school, uh, I was uh, 18, 19 years old, complaining to my professor what I needed to do that particular problem without my calculator, where I can push a button. And his response was like, well, you're learning how to build a calculator. This is engineering school. So I think, and the reason that I bring that up is that the, the context is very important and it provokes a, a question, at least to me, where if, if there is a student that is in the pursuit of creative writing or truly trying to understand a language, it's not going to be in their interest to short circuit in any way the process of learning the craft. On the flip side, if there is a student that just wants to push a button, get an output and, and go on, um, so they can get a, a passing grade that introduces or introduced to me the question of the significance of that course in the curriculum for whatever degree that person is pursuing and then the bigger conversation especially with the rising cost of education higher ed are we here to consume or are we here to produce as a student right and and that's where a lot of my my thinking went to if my 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 goal is to become the master of any domain or at least attempt to become master of a domain and that domain involves creative writing, scientific writing, whatever the case might be, this could help tackle the blinking cursor 100%. But at the end of the day, that individual in their own pursuit wants to preserve their voice. They want to put forward their thoughts and create the inflection points within the discipline that they're pursuing rather than having a generated um, output for it. Uh, the other concern that, or one concern resonated or, or, or similar to what Mark mentioned where Again, and this is a, a poetic oversimplification of the technology behind it, but as we're creating these models in uh, consuming data from work of other people, and I apply that into an assignment in, in the context of school, um, how much of the voice of another person is the output going to mimic? Um, um, I think there, there is still something, regardless of how, how communications have evolved, there is a big difference when you're going through online uh, um, commentary and you see someone who has a well thought out idea, they were deductive in their thinking, they, they made a contribution to the conversation, and then the follow up post is someone who goes this period. Was that a contribution? So that that's where where my mind went with regards to the preservation of someone's voice and their contribution will always, in my opinion, and this is I know a, a blunt statement to say always. But that urge for us as people to put forward what we see, what we think, and what we want out of the situation should trump the generation of uh, content in a programmatic way. That being said, I think it's a great tool for tackling the blinking cursor. Um, the same way that when I have writers from a marketing perspective and I edit their work, I remind them, by the way, you tackle the empty page. That is probably the hardest thing to do, right? So it's all about the context um great article really took me on a trip kind of like thinking about the value of education and how we think about tools final thought on this is to be overly concerned about um um not a fair path or using this to cheat in any way i, I don't i i think that's probably missing the point i think our tools and our technology will continue to evolve and the way that we teach a subject and the way that we pursue passions and mastery will evolve accordingly. So I'm not that concerned about like, oh, they're using this to cheat. That provokes those kind of bigger thoughts that, that it took me down the road, if you will. 
No, yeah, that's well presented. And Nicola, I'm going to go to you. Uh, so you've heard two interesting takes. I want to get yours. What do you think? I mean, this is interesting stuff. Um, when you think about it, I kind of have two lines of thought, right? One is you think about what you're getting with this thing. And it's actually in, in an educational setting and like the development of us as human beings and as a civilization, it's really similar to Google, right? Where you're like, okay, if I can Google it, why am I learning anything, right? Well, to Google something effectively, you have to know what you're looking for. You know, you need to know what the space of possible outcomes is. You need to be able to know how to ask the right question, right? Now, I think that, you know, cheating wise, yeah, I agree. That completely misses the point. And it's not that relevant, right? You can, like, if you want to police against cheating in educational institutions, go ahead and do that. But that's like a minor, minor point, right? But if you think about like the, inequality between people who have had that foundational training that Martin talked about, right? Who've been taught how to like ask the question, how to like, you know, work a problem and get to a solution. Like for them, this is just gonna make them faster. It's not actually, in my opinion, gonna make them meaningfully better, but you know, insofar as doing more work faster and then becoming better yourself, it could fast track it, right? If anyone has worked on like say automated theory improving, right? You've got like theory improvers that kind of like work um, in between like different steps and do the boring stuff that you could do, but why would you, right? You're just kind of like postulating a direction for the proof. Like stuff like that we've had in like, you know, formal mathematics in terms of, you know, just representing stuff with first order logic and whatnot. So this in terms of writing then has a bigger problem in my opinion. Because, you know, like that, again, to be controversial, um, you know, if you need this to start, then you don't really have an idea. So you're just mixing and matching different things that this model has seen. Now, if people use it to like actually augment their knowledge, the way that people use Google, now with Google, we know we're going to different web pages. We're kind of like looking at content and we know where it came from. We can kind of make a judgment over whether we should trust it or not and to what degree we should, right? If we train a lazy generation of people that use this to augment their work without critical thought, we're gonna to get to a point where people are just producing whatever this model has. And that comes back to like what I see as the fundamental limitation of the current wave of deep learning. And by the way, I'm a deep learning fanatic. My whole PhD is on that. But like the, we are just producing discriminative models that are not telling us the degree of confidence and they don't have them, right? They're just producing a stream of thought that they've seen before in maybe some novel way, but not a creative way. So like, if you really want creativity, well, you should look to like the fundamental problem and you should, you should just do that. So again, like, I don't think this is turning the world on its head. We've had language models for a very long time. They could produce a coherent, you know, four or five, six words. Now they can do a bit more, but I don't really, I think that like, again, those that are really good will become even better and will benefit those that are not as good, less than those that are already really good. And that structure, like how you actually, because think like it costs like $10 million more to train one of these models, right? So they're trained on a snapshot of something. So if a key piece of information changes, something that you, any of us would understand in a heartbeat, right? These things are just still printing text and the vote for what they are printing comes from what they've seen the most. So they're actually, you know, we talk about biases, we talk about these things being unfair. They're not unfair, they're just statistical models. And they're learning from the unfair world that we have created, right? So if you wanna create a better world, you need to find a way, and, and you want to do it in the field of statistical machine learning, you have to find a way to put thin structure into these models and the field is still lagging there. So if I were to go back to academia, that's probably what I'd focus on. Not that I think I could contribute meaningfully. This is obviously a very difficult problem. No, that's great. That's that's a lot of insight there. And um, Sridhar, I'm going to give you the last word on this. Um, interesting piece. Uh, you've heard a lot of uh, really interesting feedback on it. Uh, what's your take? Yeah, totally, totally agree with Nicola and others. Um, I think there are there are two sides to the coin. One is, of course, you know, writing in general, and you know um, what the tools can do. I think. In my view, I think the co-creation is the is the right word to use. And most of these tools today, I think we can, you know, we can augment our way of writing or you know uh, expressing ourselves 
know, in certain applications that might be really, really good. And, and these are, you know, these versatile, you know, cheap, uh, you know, if you want to really produce good quality text, decent quality text for marketing, collateral and stuff like that, SEO optimized articles, I think it's okay. But I think if you really want to look at, um, you know, high quality writing, I think it comes from deep thinking and, you know, research and lifelong reflections, experience, all that. And I think that is, uh, you know, that's not there uh, in any of these tools anyway today, right? So I think that will still be the uh, predominant domain of human uh, endeavor, I think, and, and the, all those nuanced uh, angles and you know perspectives, sort of intermingling and bringing all, bring it all together, it's just a tool sort of sort of augment your writing skill, or you know if you're really stuck, um, uh, you know at some point with a writer's block or something. I think these these could actually dispel those things and then you know help you become more. Uh, productive. I think so that's that's my take. Um, but you know, especially when it comes to the education, um, I think uh, probably the these technologies would evolve to to sort of teach children how to write because they can write. And then you know, so what is this? How do you actually begin? How do you abstractize the uh, ideas? How do you structure an article? All those things can be nicely taught with tools like this, and it can be a, a highly personalized experience for a for a student to to learn, right? Instead of simply using it as a as a way of actually getting by uh, in your in your in your homework, right? So that's uh, that's what my take is. Um, I, yeah, so it is again, it's a double edged sword, and you know, like in any other any other sphere, any technology has both the uh, you know you know both these sort of points of view and. Um, we have to figure out a way to sort of how do we co-create using this, um, using these technologies uh, to augment our our skills, our training, our knowledge, and still retain what is uniquely human about ourselves. I like that. No, I, I like that a lot, and and I think all four answers were were really insightful and and um, you know paint a picture of. Um, uh, you know, how, how y'all are looking at, at this sort of development. I, I'll share one thing just to put a punctuation mark on it. It's not about this story. It's actually about, you know, five or six years ago when one of the first, uh, if not the first educational story we covered on this show, one of the first I saw was when, um, this is when Alexa devices, the Echo, the Tower of tower, Black Tower of Death, you know, smart speaker generation one, was selling off, you know, uh, off the chain, and um, you, these things were starting to make their ways in the classrooms. So, what was discovered uh, then was that um, speech pathologists who used these devices and, and brought them into their classroom uh, or, or their educational space saw that children who had exposure to these devices and exposure to Alexa as a voice assistant um had exponentially faster improvement in their speech deficiency and as somebody i've spoken about this several times as somebody who grew up going to speech therapy in elementary school um you know i i uh certainly pay attention to that if not relate a lot to it and um no this that story is not the same as this one but i think there's an interesting sort of connection between the two on you know, you drop technology in somewhere and you start to observe what happens and you, you take the good with it, you know, the, the rapid rate of improvement, the fact that children can talk to the technology, they're not being judged all the time. Uh, they're able to interact with it on their own pace. There's no human that's required. The dependencies are gone. But when it comes to all of the progress that you make and all of the, uh, you know, the gains that you realize, you know, you want somebody to celebrate that with, plus you need a human sort of to keep you on track, you know, lift you up too when you need to be lifted up. So, you know, it really comes down to Sridhar, you know, what you sort of punctuated your statement with is, you know, the, you need the best of both worlds, um, not just with this, uh, but with everything. So um, I, I like it, I, I wanted to include it and I applaud Inside Higher Ed for continuing to watch this space. We've got just a couple of minutes left. I'm going to just read this out loud. Uh, I know you, we've got folks on this show that don't care at all about this. Uh, but as I have noted, uh, ever since I started wearing the Tennessee Titans visor, 
the Titans have gone from 0-2 to now after they uh, destroy the Houston Texans this week, and they will be 5-2. and uh, I'm going to read this from uh, ABC6 in Philadelphia. Alexa predicts Phillies to win World Series. Houston, you're going to have a problem. Kudos to whoever on the payroll at Amazon wrote that. Um, any disagreement that the Phillies are about to win the World Series? And if, and if there is, let me know and I'll mute you right now. <laughs> well, any 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 uh, quick thoughts on on uh, this humorous piece here? Yeah, I'll take a stab at it. I I I'll have been more impressive if forecasted how many innings that Mariners game was going to be. Um, I will have been better terms with my wife after I spent too many hours watching the games with the guys. But all kidding aside, one of the things that that I took away from the story, right, is is the medium. It's a, it's a it's infotainment delivered through voice. Um, and for me, that was even more interesting than the prediction in itself. It took me back to being a kid in Puerto Rico, listening to games over the radio and the whole theater of the mind type of thing. Um, so again, it's another one of those uh, um, um, palpable interpretations of what we can do with voice. The prediction is interesting. Again, my guys are off the race, so I don't have a, a, a dog in it anymore. Um, if you want them to win, good for you, but I'm still uh, recovering from the Mariners, making it after 21 years and then disappearing. So I'll keep oh, it up. We both that. are. Yeah, we <laughs> talked about that for sure. Uh, Mark, uh, I, you're 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 an Aussie. You don't give you don't care about this. <laughs> we, Shredda and I were talking before. We we want to see Alexa's prediction on who won, who who's going to win the cricket T20 World Cup. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, we'll get back to you on that. And Nicola, are you a baseball fan? Um, New York Mets. So yeah, not really right. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, New York Mets were the one team that I wrote about for the sub, the Substack newsletter because of their. Uh, you want to talk about sonic branding? The way that they brought in uh, their closer with that uh, song "Narco." You know, they, they've got this whole orchestration around bringing in the closer in the ninth inning was uh, really a phenomenal evolution of the sport almost um, with how they uh, did that. Gentlemen, thank you for the time. Thank you for taking the time to share your expertise and your experience with not just me, but the audience as well. It is certainly appreciated. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. For this week in voice. For this week in voice, season seven, episode seven. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on your podcast provider of choice, thank you for watching. If you're with us on YouTube, until next time.